So we're going to be looking at Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. And then the Bible's provided in the chairs. We're on page 2. So we made it to page 2. So if you'd like to follow along. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground... Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that you will just guide us, guide us into your word, guide us into your truth. Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to give us discernment and wisdom. Father, we pray that you will just transform our hearts and minds, that we may better live to your glory. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. We find ourselves continuing on at the end of day six. If you'd like to follow along on the bulletins, on the back of the bulletins, there's an outline that I'll be taking us through, and it has different scripture references that you can look up now or today or through the week as you review the text. And as we go through this passage, there are Five words we're going to focus in on. Five words. So this is kind of your outline as we look at this passage. The first word is image. So we're going to understand more what it means that God makes us in his image, in his likeness. The second word is dominion. Dominion. So God creates man in his image and he gives them dominion over all the creation. The third word is provides, provides. We see where God is the one who provides food. He not only did he create them he, by breathing the breath of life into them, but then he gives them food so that they could be sustained every moment of the day. And then the last two words, 
very good. Very good. So we see at the conclusion of the creation, God looks at the creation where he had separated the light from the darkness, the waters below from the waters above. God separates the land from the water. Then God fills the ocean with all the sea creatures. He fills the sky with the birds. Then he fills the land with all the animals and all the things that creep. And then he fills it with Adam and Eve. And then God looks at all that he has made. All that he has made in those six days, God looks and he says it is very good. It is perfect. At this point, there is no death. There is no sin. There is no corruption. There is no disease, no harm, nothing that is hurtful or wrong in all his created order. And it makes God very pleased. And he says it is very good. Very good. So as we go through, keep those words in your mind. First, image. Then dominion. Then provides. And then that statement. Very good. Very good. So first, if you want to look at verse 26, we see where the triune God, here again, we see where God says, let us, let us. As we understand it more fully revealed and we come to the fullest understanding in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. We see where the Father and the Son and also we see where the Spirit was hovering over the waters. We see the Holy Spirit there and active. So we see the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit Three in one, one God, three persons, making man. Here we see where Adam is created. Adam is brought about and then Eve from Adam. But we'll be looking at that when we get into chapter two. I don't want to give too much away now. But we see where God makes Adam and Eve. And he gives them something that was not given to all the rest of creation. He says that they are in his very likeness in his image. This is a powerful statement. This is a powerful statement. As we, as we go through the Bible, if you continue on from Genesis and read all the way to Revelation, you get this understanding that God, from before he created anything, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, in perfect relationship, perfect harmony, that within that relationship of the Godhead, it was understood, it was decided that a likeness was going to be made, that people would be made. And from these people, God would choose a people. God would bring about a family who would be his, his elect, his chosen ones. And they would know his truth. They would find life. They would find forgiveness. And they would have eternal life of him. So this is this plan established. This is the will and ways of the sovereign God before he creates everything. 
So in this, we see God making man in his image, but the whole purpose is eventually his son, Jesus Christ, one of the members of the Trinity, the eternally begotten son, would come and take on that flesh that he creates with Adam, would take on that flesh and live and walk amongst his creation so that this son, Jesus Christ, would, in his perfection, take the sin that will come about because of the fall, take the wrath that is deserved for all those who rebel against the holy God, so that they could be remade in his image, remade in his likeness in the regards to holiness and truth, displaying his forgiveness. So this is this grand, eternal, cosmic plan of God. And here we see where it's focused down at the beginning of verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image. And then this is repeated. That statement is repeated twice in our text to give it emphasis. And then verse 27, he says, man in his own image, male and female, he created them. Male and female. Male and female. Here we see in Genesis that God creates two categories for people. Male and female. That's it. You are either male or you're female. So this is how God establishes it in Genesis 1. So he makes them in his image. He makes them male and female. And the reason why God creates them male and female is because he is going to give them dominion. And a part of this dominion is they are going to be united in marriage, this covenant of oneness, and they are told to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth. So that's why there is the need of a male and a female. So this is very basic, very clear. It's laid out here in Genesis. So we hold on to these. And we understand the implications of these things, not only for then, but for today. As we see God talking about this and making man his image, I have some verses there that help us understand the purposes of God creating us. Here we see in Isaiah 43.7. Take Isaiah 43.7. This is a beautiful statement about the creation. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Wow, so we're getting starting to see the, some of the purposes of why God creates men and women in his image. And here Isaiah 43 says it's for his glory. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. I formed and I made. We see, remember earlier when we looked at God making the creatures of the sea and the birds of the air and all the livestock and everything that creeps on the ground, that God makes them each specific kind directly. God makes a bird he makes all the different kinds of birds. He makes them specifically and directly according to their kind. And this is how it is with 
men and women. God makes them according to their kind, specifically, directly by his power and his control. That's why Isaiah 64, verse 8, if you keep going, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So here we get a sense of God. In the beginning, he creates one man, Adam, just one. And then when we go into Genesis 2, we'll see that process of creating Eve from Adam, from his rib. So God creates one man and one woman. And from that one man and that one woman come every human being who has ever lived and whoever will live. And that is a vital, crucial necessity. If we alter that or change that in any way, we lose the gospel. We lose the gospel. You see this in Romans 5, where the Apostle Paul says that in one man, this is Adam, all die. So in Adam, all sin, Adam falls, he falls into sin. And because of that, all people who are descendants of Adam and Eve are conceived into sin and are in need of a Savior. So in Adam, all sin, death comes to all. But in the one man, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Those who will believe and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. So who here is a descendant of Adam and Eve? I'll just get a show of hands. Who, yeah, okay, so some of you, some of you. Okay, let me tell you, if you're not a descendant of Adam and Eve, there's no hope for you. Stop going to church. <laughs> There's no hope. You have to be a descendant of Adam and Eve to have the promise of the gospel and the promise of the scriptures and the truth. So it's very important that you know who you are in regards to Adam and Eve, that you are a descendant of Adam. And because you are from Adam, you are born into sin. But because of the one man, Jesus Christ, you can be reborn into forgiveness and life and love and all that is God's blessings and promises. So it's very important to understand who we are in relation to Adam and Eve. This is all the Bible knows. If you go a little further in Genesis chapter 5, if you go to Genesis chapter 5, it says this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So here we see where Moses, inspired by God, is writing the, the first five books of the Bible. And in Genesis 5, we see where Moses writes, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And then you have the beginning of this genealogy, and who's at the beginning of the genealogy? Is Adam. Adam. Very important. Very important. And this is what's understood by Jesus and understood throughout the New Testament. 
So we see God is doing a specific act, a direct act of making Adam and then making Eve, uh, making them in his image. It's very important because part of being in the image of God is what we see in verse 26 where it says, and God gives man dominion. So here's the next word, dominion. God gives man dominion over all the different kinds. So all over all the creatures of the sea, over all the birds of the air, over all the livestock, all the animals, all the things that creep on the ground, everything that God has breathed the breath of life into. Wow. What a responsibility. What a privilege. God gives us dominion over so that we can train and work with and and uh, go about using the gifts and abilities he's given us. It's amazing. Again, this dominion is where we are to point into God's ultimate sovereignty, ultimate dominion, where God is over all, but we in his likeness and in his image are given work. We're given work. Who here thought work was because of the fall? It wasn't. Toilsome, struggling, painful work, we see is a cause of the fall. But work itself, having dominion, using the gifts and abilities that God has given us for his glory and his praise and his honor is a part of the very good. Part of the very good. That's why we seek and all we do to give God thanks and praise and to work hard and give him glory in it. This opportunity of serving God and having dominion and responsibility and the privilege to use the creation for his glory is good. It is very good. And that's where verse 28, we see where God blesses them. God blesses them. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he continues on with these statements to subdue it and to have dominion over it. It's a powerful statement. We are able to train, instruct, and use the creation in a way that gives God the maximum glory in the way that displays his creative work and his love for us and all of creation. This is one of the things where the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul comes to Athens and he's doing evangelism, he's reaching out to the gospel, he goes back to Genesis chapter 1, and he focuses in on Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, to bring them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at how Paul uses the passage of Scripture we're looking at today for evangelism. So you'll find us in Acts 17. Acts 17, starting at verse 24. We see in Acts 17, 24. Here's the Apostle Paul. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. Here we see where God has ultimate dominion, ultimate sovereignty. 
does not live in temples made by man. Remember, Paul came in and his heart was grieved because there were so many idols. And he even saw an idol to the unknown God. They wanted to cover everything. So they have all these idols. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. We are not created in God's likeness and we are not given dominion to subdue it because God needs us to do that. No, it's all a part of his gracious gift of his love and his truth to us. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, and he made from one man. This is the Apostle Paul's understanding. This is a consistent understanding in the New Testament that from one man, Adam, came all people. So here we see it again in Acts 17. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. Wow. This is God's power and control. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For, and then he quotes one of their poets, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent to turn back because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man remember we are all sinners in adam but for those who believe in jesus christ the man we can have forgiveness and salvation by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So this is how the Apostle Paul uses Genesis 1 and uses verses 26 through 31, the passage we're looking at. Here's how the Apostle Paul uses this section of Scripture to present the gospel. To present the gospel. And that speaks to each and every one of us. As Isaiah 45, 18 says this, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is no other. That's why you find no greater rebellion than this. So God creates man in his image to give him all the glory, praise, and honor. But then because of the fall, we see where men and women, rather than giving God the praise, worship, and glory he deserves, we begin worshiping the creation. 
Rather than having dominion and subduing, we find ourselves bowing down to and worshiping the beasts of the sea or of the air or of the land and making images of them and worshiping and bow down to them rather than the sovereign God who is over all. Here you see the rebellion and you see the need of dominion. Dominion isn't just subduing and using creation, but it's subduing and using creation for God's glory and his praise. And if we give praise and glory to anything else but God, we're doing the very opposite than that to which God created us for. And that's why we need the recreation that is found only in Jesus Christ. So as we look at image, we look at dominion, verse 29, we see the third word, provides. God provides food. Every plant and every tree. Every plant and every tree. So here it is in Genesis 1. When God looks at creation, says it is very good. I have to break it to you. There are no barbecues. There's no meat being eaten at this time. Absolutely none. Vegetables and fruits. This is it. So this is Genesis chapter 1. The very good creation. God gives all the plants and all the trees. He does not give permission or allowance for any blood to be shed. This is how you, how you get the eating of meat. He doesn't allow anything that has the breath of life to be eaten. That's, that's it. So this is Genesis 1. It isn't until Genesis 9, after the flood, when God reinstates the dominion, that then he gives permission. But in giving permission, he gives permission to eat of the animals, except what can they not do? But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. So that's what he does in Genesis 9, after the flood. But here in this state, we have all that we are given are the plants of the ground and the trees. And this isn't just for man in God's image. This is to all the animals. So this is to all the creatures of the sea, all the birds of the air, all the livestock, and all the things that creep along the earth. We see that God in Genesis 1 only gives them plants and trees and the products of plants and trees for their eating. Because this very good creation, there cannot be death of any kind. There cannot be the shedding of blood. Now we're going to see that this doesn't last long. As soon as the serpent comes, the devil and tempts, and we see the fall into sin, that's where we see blood beginning to be shed, and we see the consequences of sin in everything. But here we see the glimpse of a very good creation. But the key thing here is God provides. God provides. That's what Jesus emphasized when he's comforting people about staying focused to him. 
This is what we pray. In Matthew 6, 11, we see the Lord's Prayer. We pray that today. Give us the day our daily bread. In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, as he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The lilies of the field. You see how beautiful and splendor they are. Yet even Solomon didn't compare to them. And then verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we are created in God's image. We have been given dominion so that we would seek after God and his righteousness. That's the purpose of our creation. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here Jesus is taking us back against, again to these, this passage of Scripture. Not only do we fall into error and sin and rebellion, when rather than having dominion and subduing, we worship the creation. Also, we fall into sin and rebellion and disobedience, when rather than going to God and understanding His power and going to Him for everything we need, we seek to bring about our desires and our needs and our wants and our own power, regardless of God's law, regardless of who He is and what He commands. Again, rather than living out according to His image, we find ourselves in rebellion in those things. That's why Jesus says, put first the kingdom of God. Have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Seek Him. Pray to Him. Desire Him. Hunger for Him. And all these things will be provided for you. He will provide. He will watch over. And He will guide you. But that takes an awful lot of trust. But remember the whole purpose of Genesis 1 so far? You can trust Him. He made it. He knows how it works far better than we do. If he's powerful enough to make it, he's, and he's powerful enough to sustain it, he's powerful enough to redeem it and strengthen it. So we can trust him in everything at all times, understanding that he provides. In verse 31, the last statement, very good, very good. That sums up all of creation. That sums up everything that God does. It is very good. Very good. That's why ultimately I encourage you. If you look at your life, if you understand your life right now, and if there are things in it that are not very good, who are you going to go to? There's only one person you can go to who can bring about 
life and love and goodness, and that is God. He's the creator, and he's the savior. He's the redeemer. So that's my hope and encouragement for all of us. As we consider God the creator, we understand what it means that he's the savior. Not only does he make us, but he sends his son Jesus Christ to die so that we can have forgiveness by trusting and believing in him. He takes the wrath that we deserve because we've rebelled. We've worshipped the creation rather than creator. We've, we've sought to fill our needs and wants according to our own power and strength rather than being dependent on God. But he sends his son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image and likeness so that those who will believe in him can have his righteousness and forgiveness in him. Our hope is the hope given in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Just as in the beginning here, when God blesses and says, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, subdue, I will provide, we see where all these blessings are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it is to be in the image of God, to be in the likeness of God, know Jesus Christ. Seek after Jesus Christ. Hunger for Jesus Christ. Desire Him more than anything. Worship Him over anything. Have Him be your greatest desire, your greatest need, your greatest passion, your life. Then you will be what God intends you to be in His image, in His likeness. To give him the glory. The reason we exist is to know, to love, and lift up the Son Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of our life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. What an awesome privilege it is. To consider that you create us in your image. That you've given us work to do. You've given us dominion. To give you glory through the work of our hands. Through the gifts and abilities that you've given us. Father, we thank you that you do provide for us in all ways. And that in your son, Jesus Christ, we can begin to understand what it means to be very good because of His righteousness and His glory. We thank You for Your love. In Christ's wonderful name, Amen.